Yo, is this thing on? Man, whatever. Walk with me. Welcome back to Walk with TFB. Tim Bryson here, and as y'all know, I am a black millennial who is eager to have unfiltered conversation with authentic people centered on education, sport, and culture. Before we kick off the first episode of our first season, I want to prioritize space and prioritize time to take a moment of silence to both honor and recognize our two black kings and one black queen who were senselessly murdered due to racism and white supremacy. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. Today we are walking with one of my best friends, uh, truly one of my sisters, um, someone I grew up with uh, now, uh, almost like a decade and some change, um, someone who has uh, a plethora of different experiences, not just in higher education, uh, but also in healthcare. Um, but I'm going to let her introduce herself. So without further ado, uh, y'all help me welcome Aleth Pashi. Pashi, how you doing? Talk to me. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Can't say that I'm good, but I'm okay. How are you? I could be better. Uh, someone yeah. asked me earlier today, like, how you doing? I'm like, just another day living in this fucked up country. Um, living in my skin. That, that's, that's really hard <laughs> to bring it down to. Um, mm -hmm. But again, thank you so much for taking um, you know, some time to speak with me today, um, especially on our first episode, which is super exciting uh, for the podcast. Um, and as I shared with you before, you know, my podcast is three segments. Um, the first segment, you know, is what's your story? So we get a chance to learn more about you. Um, the second segment is trending topic, and we have a, a riveting conversation, I think a very passionate conversation that we'll have today. Um, but then thirdly, you know, how can the listeners and myself best support you um, as we leave this conversation today? Uh, so let's start by just learning more about your story, right? Like, who are you? Um, you know, where'd you come from? What do you call home? Um, tell us more about yourself, Pashi. Yeah, so like Tim said, um, my name is Pashi. I go by my last name. Um, I'm from Cincinnati. I met Tim in high school. Um, obviously, if you all know from the previous episodes, Tim went to an all-boys school, so definitely didn't go to school together, um, but met through mutual friends. Um, I then went to college right outside of Columbus, Ohio. I went to Otterbein University. Um, I earned my Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Otterbein, as well as my Master's of Science in Healthcare Administration. Um, so spent a lot of time in Columbus as well. Um, in that time, I also have a baby. Well, she's kind of grown. <laughs> Probably Very the grown funniest girl. three and a half year old that I know. Um, not that I know too many, but she's funny to me. Um, so there's Hendrix. Um, and yeah, so like Tim said, I currently work, I work in higher education and healthcare services. So it's kind of where those two worlds meet. Um, so it's an interesting time right now. I'm in Los Angeles, California. I work at art and design school. And so what's really interesting with the population that I work with right now and just college students in general is they're at a time where you can really reach them because that 18 to 22, 23, they're not really trying to hear it from like their parent, guardian, people that they, you know, grew up listening to, but they're not trying to hear it from someone that they're completely disconnected from. And so because I have an understanding of like what they're going through, like I just recently went through that, you know, just being in my mid twenties, but also having that education experience, I can really reach them about really taking their health seriously, really making sure that they understand um, how important their health is because 
they can't be on these front lines doing everything that they need to do without focusing on themselves and focusing on their health. So it's a fun time. They're interesting. They're fun though, but you know how college kids are. I mean, I love, I mean, I love <laughs> students. I love higher education. Um, and so they know I went to all, all male school. Definitely mm-hmm. showed them on my Instagram. I think it was a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but tell us more about the high school you went to. Cause it was, it was also unique in, in many ways than, than one. Yeah, so I went to Lakota East High School. So it's um, about 10, 15 miles north of Cincinnati. Um, what's interesting about my school district is there's two schools. It's, it's pretty big schools. Ten, your entire school was about 11, 1,500, 1,100, somewhere around there. Yeah. My graduating class was about 1,000. Um, and that's just my graduating class, yeah. And so we had two schools in our district, two high schools, and they were exactly the same. So they were built the same, the classrooms were the same, almost down to like, if 142 was a bathroom at East, 142 was a bathroom at West, like they were identical. Um, But as far as the demographic, it was really interesting because you got such a wide range. It was a mostly white school, um, just being in the suburbs, but you got such a wide range of socioeconomic status and you could just see that like walking through the parking lot. (laughs) And that's kind of like where that first, like that's kind of where at first was like, oh, we are not the same. Because <laughs> um, you walk through the parking lot, you'll see like a, you know, like a 92 Honda and then go four spots down and you'll see a brand new Lexus. And you're like, how are we all here doing the same thing? Um, so that's kind of the first time I was introduced to like the idea that when people go home, they completely, we're not the same anymore once we leave these doors, once we aren't in the same classroom. So that was like my first exposure was from going to such a socioeconomically diverse high school. That's a great point. I think one that uh, when we think about diversity, I think, I mean, a lot of us, I think naturally, you know, focus on race um, mm-hmm. because it's the thing that we can see. Um, and so you mentioned like, uh, yes, um, I know, especially growing up in Cincinnati, that the diversity, particularly around socioeconomics, um, is extremely high within, um, you know, the Lakota system. Um, but one place in which, in some ways, um, you know, you, you all were the same, I was on the basketball court. So talk to us more about your experience on the basketball team at Lakota East. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention I'm a retired Hooper. Retired Hooper. <laughs> retired Hooper. Um, it was a great time. Um, so I started varsity all four years at Lakota East High School. It was so much fun. I'm not one of those people that would go back to high school, but I would go back to basketball season 100% any day of the week. Um, so we came in, the five of us that started, we had the same starters for four years straight. And before we started, they were not good. Like just Lakota East was not good. Women's basketball was low key, like a mockery. (laughs) So we came into our first open gym in eighth grade and the five of us were already friends. We had played AAU together in the past. Like we just, we've, we've been cool since like third, fourth grade. So we came in and we were just busting them. And I was confused. I was like, ma'am, I'm in eighth grade. Like, why can I do this? (laughs) So JV or varsity? Varsity. At an open gym, yeah. So it was all five eighth graders at this time on one team versus the current varsity starters. Oh yeah, they were trash. Going off. And I was like, this this is not what it's supposed to be like. (laughs) And so we went on um, and just, we got better every year. So that first year was a transition year, still had a astronomically better record than they had in the past and it was it was just a fun time I think junior year was like that peak where the men's team was also like 
made a run to the uh, Sweet 16. We made yeah. a run to the Elite Eight. Yeah. Um, and so that was, it was just fun. It was a good time. And so your experience, in, at least uh, playing basketball, um, ended in high school because you went to Otterbein, um, did something totally different, right? Um, pursued um, really your interests, your passions, um, you know, walking your purpose, if you will, um, and studied healthcare, right, at a school that many people, honestly, across the country, let alone Ohio, may not have heard about. So mm -hmm. Otterbein, like, what is that? Where is it at? <laughs> yes, actually, I did play for a year at Otterbein, and then nursing school hit, and I was like, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> um, but Otterbein University is in Westerville, Ohio. It is a small liberal arts school. If I sound like a brochure, I might because I was like a tour guide and RA and all those things. Um, but it is a small liberal arts college, um, small school, like maybe, maybe 6,000 people. Um, but right outside Columbus, maybe about 15 minutes on a bad day from downtown Columbus. Um, so in the suburbs, but quick access to the city and quick access to anything you'd want from the city, basically. Um, it's a good school. It's, it's a great school, definitely white. It's a PWI for sure. Um, but the community of black people in general, not just people of color, but the community of black people is strong. Um, so that's definitely what got me um, kind of propelled me into kind of like diversity and social justice and equity was was just that was definitely my first year being on in those groups in African American Student Union um, and um, being an ally in Ola um, another student group so that's definitely kind of what what kind of started getting those wheels turning and so while in undergrad particularly at Audubon your experience least studying your major did you have any sort of clue like what you would you know want to do or hope to do you know post-graduation I know in our conversations before it was like I think I think nursing is the answer I think it could be you know um, hospital administration like and now you're in a higher ed space like how did you um, really negotiate you know all those interests um, throughout your time at Audubon yeah, so you've known me for 10 years. So my initial dream, I was like, man, I just want to be a housewife. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to put your, put your business out there. but yeah. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Our business is out. I wanted to be a housewife. Um, and so jokingly, I was like, oh, nursing's the most flexible career possible. I could still be a housewife for sure. Um, but once I started getting into healthcare in, on a more serious note was when I realized that, like, I just, I love talking to people and really connecting with people. And so as I went through my clinical rotations, they were all in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in nursing school, they don't really expose you to all the windows of nursing. Um, luckily for me, my sister was a nurse practitioner. So at that time she was um, a floor nurse um, in a hospital. And so I could talk to her and kind of get her perspective on things. And there were so many different types of nursing that we just never talked about. And so what I would do, it was during class, is what do we do during class? We kind of surf the internet a little bit. Um, so during class, I would literally just look up jobs that were posted currently. I'm a sophomore, like obviously I'm not applying to these jobs, but to see what types of nursing jobs are out there. And so I was like, there are so many like administration jobs, like public health, health equity jobs. I was like, this this could work, <laughs> like, because when you're at the hospital, it is a revolving door. So you work your three nights, you might have the same patient.
and twice and you'll never see them again. So then you're like, did any of my teaching even help? Like you don't get any follow-up, like you can't reconnect with them even legally. You can't even talk to them again. And that just didn't sit well with me. Um, I was like, this just, I don't like it. Like it just, I felt like I was just part of a system. Yeah, um, yeah. And so staying in higher ed and being able to really mix in the learning aspect of higher ed and that, um, the project-based um, teaching and the programming spaces, but is still able to mix that with healthcare with a little bit of patient um, care as well. But it's the same people over and over. They're there for four years. Um, so you definitely get to just build that relationship and build that trust. And you see that trust grow in them. Like, you know, when they walk in, they're a little too comfortable. I'm like, hold on, wait. I'm like, okay, we cool, we not that cool, relax. Um, but no, but I like I like that they feel comfortable enough to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I was able to mix all these things together. I know at first I felt like I had to do one or the other. I was like, it has to be higher ed or healthcare. And I was like, no, it doesn't. I was like, I don't, no, it doesn't. Like I can make whatever I want to make work. Um, and so just thinking about everyone at one point has used health services at their school, whether it was to grab some condoms or they had a fever, they've gone in there. And I was like, is people with nursing degrees in there? Like, why can't I do that? Um, and so that's kind of how that flow of thought and that train of thought really started. And in the past, I would say past few years, more schools are getting just wellness offices in general. Um, and so in wellness departments. And so that's kind of when my wheels started turning again. And then that's how I ended up here. See, I love your story so much. And I can't even uh, take it to segment two without um, mentioning one of our shared heroes and Leslie Bryson. She would get mad that I'm calling her by her first name on this podcast, but I love mm, you, mom. The queen. The queen, but the focus is on you, uh, Pashi, particularly on my favorite, my favorite Pashi in the house, Hendrix, just like you have your favorite Bryson. Um, talk to us about motherhood, because I know that's something that, um, you know, many, uh, a lot of people may, you know, aspire to become a mother or a father one day. Um, but with you, and again, it's something I'm truly inspired about you. I don't think I've ever told you this, um, probably as explicit as I am now. Um, but to see everything you're doing, in addition to being a mother, um, it's truly inspirational, um, honestly. And so talk to us more about like, what's your experience, um, have, what's your experience has been being a mother? And I know you mentioned, you know, you're a millennial mom and I want you to, to really uh, emphasize that part as well. Um, but like, what's it like being a mom? Um, it's fun overall. I think it's more fun now because she's so much more independent. Um, you know, she's potty trained. She can reach her snacks. She can pour herself some cereal. Um, so she can get into her iPad based on whoever she wants. So she don't really need me for real. And she'll let me know. Um, <laughs> but no, but candidly, it's hard. Like being a single mom, I literally only had what, like four months from graduation to motherhood. So I had four months of of being not responsible for anything, for lack of better terminology. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning, it was it was hard in a way that was just me recalculating and refocusing, because I'm definitely someone that plans and makes ahead. So I'm like, okay, this is what I think it's gonna be like. But I know that come September when she's born, that, that might change. Um, so as you know, I'm at home, I was at home for four months. Um, thankfully I had great benefits and great support and great friends, um, great family members. But while I'm at home for that four months, um, my wheels are turning, I'm recalculating. I'm like, okay, so 
I boom, so she's got to be at daycare here so I can still get boom, boom, boom done. Like, I'm really, like, trying to make everything work still. And that's exhausting. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, frankly, when I talked about it, like, my mental health for a second there, I would say, like, seven or eight months was at a at a lower point because I just, I was losing my identity. Like, I wasn't mm. sure anymore. Like, I'd always known exactly who I was. And I was like, wait, now I'm a mom. I was like, wait, does I have to come first? I was like, but what about all these other things that I've been doing for 22 years? Like, hold on. <laughs> so yeah, I was yeah. like, really, I was fucked up. I was like, yo, this is crazy. I was like, so, so I just have to throw the other 22 years away? Like, what the fuck y'all mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it was really when she was like one and a half and I was like, you know how little sense it makes to put your kid first in the grand scheme of life? Like, if I'm not first and if my mental health isn't first, what type of mom am I going to be? Like, what type of support can I even be for her if my mental health isn't straight? Like, if I'm not, if I'm not taken care of, how am I going to take care of her? And so I, I kind of smirk a little bit with moms and dads, frankly, but when moms are like, my kid is number one, my kid comes before everything, I was like, I'll be damned if my kid comes before my mental health. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, if I need my sister to come out here and kick it with me, luckily I have that support. If I need to just get a babysitter for the night and just, well, DC before COVID and go to the movies and just like clear my mind. I'm going to do that because I need to be, I need to be solid to be a good mom. And so that's where like the millennial mom started. Um, but definitely millennial mom in that like, I don't really yell at her. I don't hit her. Um, but she's so respectful. She's so respectful, mostly in public because she'll, she comes for me a little bit. Um, she calls me my guy, but I think that's my fault. <laughs> um, but I like to have conversations with her. I like to know why. Like when when she's hot, when she's mad, I'll be like, okay, like why are you upset? And instead of being like, you can't be mad, whatever, whatever, like go to your room, whatever else. Like, okay, why are you mad? I didn't like the way you talked to me. How did I talk to you? I felt like you weren't paying attention. Like, when have we ever... <laughs> been able to talk to our parent like that and she's three yeah. and so almost four so at four years old she knows that she can candidly say that like say those things to me or like she has an idea she goes okay mom let's talk she for, she also doesn't talk like four-year-olds she goes okay mom let's talk here's what we should do and so like really like listening to her like process and letting her process and just talking to her and when she's mad I'm like why don't we just breathe like I don't even want to talk about what you did wrong. I was like, let's just breathe and get into a space where you want to talk because I can't talk to you if you're upset. And so that has worked for me. I know that doesn't work for everyone, <laughs> I, but it works. It works for us. It works for me. So she's happy. I'm happy. We good over here. <laughs> no, I love, I love y'all watching y'all's uh, adventures. Um, obviously both virtually, um, but in person as well. I mean, they can follow her on Instagram if they want, at Hendrix Carter Bean, just all one word, Hendrix Carter Bean. Her second middle name is after my goat, Kobe Bryant. So go ahead and follow her. She posts some fun stuff. I'll be sure to put, I'll be sure to put <laughs> in, uh, IG information in the, uh, in the description. She'd be fun on Instagram. Yeah, she's a lot of followers. <laughs> <laughs> so transition us to segment two, um, which is trending topics. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Um, as I mentioned before, trending topics are something that may or may not be trending on Twitter right uh, this very moment or even tomorrow for that matter. Um, but they're topics that are important um, in your life. Uh, and for me, that's what's most important. Um, this episode's trending topic is one 
that is trending on Twitter right now um, for obvious um, immediate reasons. Um, and that's, I mean, I don't even know how to, where to start um, and how to describe it. Though what I will say in getting us into the conversation is that when you and I were texting about this over the last few weeks, um, I don't know if it was you or myself, I was like, yo, just stop fucking killing us. Like, just stop killing us. Um, that's the only words um, that could come to mind to even describe like how I was feeling at the time. Um, so I asked you earlier, and I know just from our, you know, tenured friendship, um, you were holding back a little bit, you know, when I asked you how you were doing. Um, but let's learn just more about, like, how are you feeling really right now? I think right now, I think the first few days I was numb. So even when you asked me, I didn't, I didn't know how I felt because I was just so numb. I feel like we are exposed to such an unnatural amount of visual trauma. Um, just to start, not even the trauma that we go through on a day-to-day -day or the uh, microaggressions and things that we personally face or even macroaggressions, um, but just the amount of visual trauma that we see is just numbing. And so when you ask me, I, I, did, I didn't know, I didn't fucking know. <laughs> um, but just as the days went on, I think it went from just anger to sadness to now it's just that frustration because I, again, I'm someone that likes to have a plan. I like to see the path and like, I, I can't see one. And so that that is so frustrating right now. Um, and I think that's just kind of where I've been for the past couple of days. It's just that, just pure frustration. And so for our listeners, uh, again, black, non-black, um, you know, white, non-white, one of the things that you mentioned, and I appreciate you brought this up, um, especially given your healthcare background, um, is this visual trauma, uh, particularly with this, with the role of um, social media. You know, what, at least in my experience, and I know um, the people that I've spoken with, you know, some people have said, you know, it's good for me to take a break and get off social media just to, you know, not be triggered um, or, you know, be stimulated in that way over and over and over again. Uh, for myself, um, it's not soothing nor, nor peaceful, uh, but making sure our, really this tension between staying in the loop while also taking time away, but then not knowing what's going on, like did something else happen? How have you like managed to, to, to balance, integrate, like divide? Like what's your experience been with that so far? Yeah, so I'm notorious for deactivating my Twitter um, because even trauma aside, there are times where I just feel, especially during this quarantine and everyone's been at home and on their phone, I feel like I, I sometimes get to a point where I say, are these my thoughts or have I just taken in so many other people's thoughts and perspectives and ideas? And so sometimes I'll separate myself in that. Um, but I grew up, my dad um, has his doctorate and teaches um, political science. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up with someone who always watched the news. We were forced to watch the news. I feel like I knew the branches of government before I knew like the colors of the rainbow. Yep. Um, yep. So, um, I, I'll just take a moment and just watch a couple of news uh, outlets, regardless, even the ones that we aren't supposed to watch, <laughs> so that I get a little bit of everything. So I'll watch maybe 15 minutes or so of those when I'm completely deactivated, just so I can like stay in those trending topics. And when I say news, I also mean like sports news as well. <laughs> um, so I don't miss out on that either, being the NBA enthusiast that I am. Um, but just taking that in, assessing it and processing it the way that I want and then turning it off. Um, I'd always typically keep Instagram active because you can still get things from Instagram without, it's not as many opinions as Twitter and Facebook and things like that. You can really filter it out a little bit more. Um, so that's kind of how I've been balancing, but it's 
it's hard. It's really oh. hard, like you said, to stay educated and stay up to date because, like you said, things change so quickly. And they do. And I know you mentioned in, um, you know, embrace being this millennial mom. And so, like, what's been the conversation or has there been conversation with Hendrix about, you know, what's going on in the world, you know, helping her? I mean, even at, you know, the young age that she is, like, understand, like, what it means to be Black? Because, I mean, speaking personally, it didn't really, like, hit me, like, really hit me, hit me, probably till college, like, South Carolina college, um, which is, a, you know, a, a topic for another show. Like, what's been the conversation or, um, like, with your daughter um, on these issues right now? Uh, so I've always been, I hate the word intentional because it's such a higher education word, but I've always yeah. been super intentional about making sure that she's exposed to protagonists that look like her in her books, in the shows that she watches, in the movies that she watches. Um, we have always done mirror affirmations before she goes to bed. Those are also on her Instagram. Um, but after she brushes her teeth, um, we see in the mirror, she says, I am strong, I am smart, I am important, I am beautiful three times every night. Like she starts to roll her eyes a little bit when she's really tired, but it's that making sure that she knows and making sure that she knows for herself and doesn't need to hear it from somebody else to know it. Um, and so we kind of talk about it in that way. Um, she asks questions sometimes, um, but I feel like because she's exposed to so many different races and cultures, she understands that there is a difference, but doesn't care like it doesn't it doesn't affect who she wants to play with it doesn't affect who she talks to at the playground or whatever else but we definitely have all all black everything in this house so um black scientists are the protagonists in her picture books and just different like doc mcstuffins is a black doctor cartoon that she watches um and so just making sure that she sees herself herself in those roles that i didn't see myself in 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 the reflected in the things that i watch and the things that i consume Hmm. Which, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a different, really a, a pivotal switch and something I didn't have uh, growing up either, um, you know, in the 90s and really early 2000s. And so the conversation, at least particularly on Twitter at the moment, you know, has focused on, um, you know, police brutality um, and the, uh, the deaths, again, that have been senselessly, you know, happening at the hands of white people, um, especially those in, in law enforcement. With you, and I, um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned a lot of these pieces because it's getting my brain just thinking. One of the things that I've realized and have come to understand is that, you know, white people say, well, I don't know what to do. Uh, my dad's not a cop. My mom's not a cop. All, you know, all cops aren't bad, blah, 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 blah. The murders of black people just don't occur by law enforcement, right? The, the murders of black people are occurring uh, through, you know, white-centered, you know, racist systems that are pervasive in every way, shape, or form uh, in, in the United States of America. In particular, and again, bringing this back to even your career industries, healthcare and education, right? How have you seen, you know, black, be, black people um, be treated, not just poorly, but, um, you know, uh, in ways that have had deadly effects on them, like life from like a life or death, you know, perspective? Mm -hmm but also on their development uh, and matriculation to entering the workforce and being just contributing citizens in our society. Yeah, um, so I'll start professionally first and kind of work down to education. But even in my experience, when I did work in the hospital and understood that that was not the space for me, I would walk into a room and they, their first thought would not be that I was a nurse. 
So they're about to hand me their food tray or they're asking me when the nurse is coming in or if I'm the one that's going to come in and give them a bath. I'm like, I mean, I can, but I'm also going to give you your meds. So um, it, that is just, and you hear that, you think, okay, I've just heard it once, but you hear that in every single patient room, every single shift, and it just becomes daunting. Like, am I even supposed to be here? So then you get that little bit of like imposter syndrome starting to set in a little bit when you don't have that positive reinforcement coming from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just like the overt situations that I that I personally have faced. I know that my sister, like I said, she's a nurse, she faces it all the time. Um, she's also a travel nurse, and so she's in different regions of the country facing it in completely different ways. Um, and so that's kind of where that comes from. As far as education and talking to my students, I think one of the hardest things for them is just um, health equity because they're not all from the Los Angeles area. They come from all different places. And so we can tell them to find healthcare here or I can show them on the Anthem website how to find a doctor, but do they have access to that doctor? Do they know what to say once they're there? Do they, do they have the $10 for the copay? Like, do they have these things? Um, and so I think I've just been so much more exposed to health equity and like the, the inequities just between um, not just races again but between just areas and different geographic locations even within the same cities um and so that's kind of been like my experience as of late with with that how have you seen you know other black women you know help uh or black people for that matter you know help you know close the gap how have you seen white people widen the widen the gap whether that's you know, through behaviors, policy making, you know, et cetera. I like, like, talk to us more about like, like what, what role racism plays, uh, particularly in this health equity piece on uh, making sure that everyone has what they need um, to be healthy and whole. Yeah, so I feel like there is a, a, a gap there as far as um, other black women and other black people trying to close the gap because within healthcare, like we're just trying to survive as providers still. Mm. So we're on still on that basic survive mode level. Like I feel like as a whole, um, we're not we're not there as as a whole to really go to that next step. Like we're still trying to survive at this point. Um, there are a lot of groups, organizations, of course, black nurses, um, black healthcare providers, lots of different seminars and everything else. But trying to get everyone on one accord to move forward is something that's still actively happening right now. Not that there's not people trying, but as a whole, I feel like there's a lot of disconnect there. Um, as far as white people trying to help close that gap, um, it's hit or miss, just like with everything else, just like with, um, with the social media activism or whatever else, they'll talk to you at the nurse's station, like, wow, girl, that was fucked up. I was like, okay, but you were there, you could have said something. Mm -hmm. And so um, just really bringing up the opportunity to them. I'm definitely not someone that holds back. Some may call me rude, some may call me outspoken. Don't know what you call me, but I don't really care. <laughs> um, but I'm definitely going to be the one where you could have stepped up right there. Like I handled it, but that would have been a really good time for you to step up. And that was really disheartening to not see you step up. And so that's a sentence that unfortunately I use often, but that's mm -hmm. something that I say to my white colleagues, my white peers, my white counterparts often to make sure that they know like this, this was a moment. 
like you just lost a moment right there. Mm. Um, and so that way, hopefully next time that moment arises, they're like, ah, oh, shit, Pashi said this was a moment. Like, let me, <laughs> let me capitalize, even if it's not me, like, but you, you lost that opportunity. So that's definitely something that I say often. I've said it a lot this week, um, which is exhausting, but yeah, definitely something that I try to do. So this, this concept, really this idea, practice of lost moments. You just gave, I mean, a glowing example of, you know, how it happens, you know, in hospitals or, you know, in healthcare settings. Um, but I'm black, just like you. And I know that you know that this also happens in higher ed, these lost moments. Is there an experience that comes, you know, to mind, you know, rather quickly about, quickly about how, um, you know, an ally, right, this word ally we keep hearing, I think, more often now, has missed a moment to help um, close the gap for you, you know, creating equi equitable environments in your higher ed setting as well? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you say that and I, I smiled a little bit because I was like, oh, which one am I gonna pick? <laughs> There's so many, um, but I'll pick a recent one. Um, so obviously with, with COVID, with Corona, um, there's so much changing in higher ed right now. Um, there's a lot of moving parts constantly, but the academic year is coming up and some solid decisions need to be made just for the sake of our students, right? Um, and so I have a very unique place right now because I have worked in residence life. Um, and that's a big part of the return, the return to school aspect. And so on all these COVID committees and task force and organizations and things like that, I have spoken directly with my supervisor, you know, in our one-on-one -on -one meetings, I'm like, hey, this is my idea. I'm going to say this idea in our meeting, and I would like you to support this idea. And if you don't support that idea, tell me now and not in the meeting. And so trying to like almost like pump up, pump up the allyship, like, hey, like, I'm mean, <laughs> back, like, come on, sis, like, you got me, like, let's go, like, come on. And so in our meeting, she's like, yeah, yeah, no, that's a great idea, it's a great idea. And I'm like, all right, bet, cool, I got her, like, let's, let's get it. And so we go into that meeting. I say my, I turn my camera on, you know, I don't have my camera on for Zoom meetings. I have my camera on, like I'm ready. And so before I can even speak, sis says my idea and takes it as, as her own. And like, I, you know, I'm outspoken, you know, I won't say anything, but I was so taken aback. And not only that, but then they, they're now using that idea. And so I'm like, yo, that's crazy. Like, and I physically couldn't even say anything. Like I was so like lost. And that is rare for me because I always have a lot to say. Um, but yeah. I was just, I was lost and I was like, yo, you were supposed to have me like not take it. Like this was supposed to be a moment where I could share like my experience to help like benefit like the, the institution. Like this, this was supposed to be just, you know? And so in that meeting, I had actually shared my idea with uh, another black female coworker, and she had her camera on because she was ready. Like she was ready to like support me, like back me, and like sh her face, like almost like her face went white. And she's like, "I know she did not just take her idea and claim it as her own." And it wasn't even claiming it as her own, but there was no credit. She mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. she wrote the paper with no <laughs> with no bibliography, no works I did. No APA or MLA. Uh, the APA was gone, like nothing. <laughs> so that was just one of those moments where I'm like, we do all this fucking work and they just take it. Like, they, uh, like it was just like so frustrating. So that, 
I'm, I'm still, still, this is, this is a little bit fresh, but I'm still just like lost. I'm like, how did, how do you, how do you do that? Like, I, I don't know. It's just so crazy to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't have an answer for you. Um, I wish I did. I wish I could help, you know, um, just troubleshoot to be honest. And, you know, for me, and again, is, which is why I wanted to, you know, um, you know, call this trending topic, stop killing us. Because that moment, that lost moment, was another example of how white people, racism, white supremacy, pick one of them, continues mm -hmm. to hold black people down, mm -hmm. continues to murder, like literally murder, like take lives away, continues to murder and take careers away, take promotions away, take pay raises away. And the conversation, again, you're, you're deactivated right now, but uh, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media platform, you know, you so choose to use, um, again, it's like, I don't know how to help as an ally. I don't know how to, um, you know, I don't know how to answer my voice here. I'm, I'm continuing to try to learn like there. And I think the, the, the focus has been so much on police and like law enforcement, right. but there are other moments to which again, mm -hmm. it's like stealing this phrase that you use, That's in right. which they can be active. I'm, like, I'm definitely gonna borrow that and use that at my next meeting. But you're but gonna it. cite me though. So I was on a podcast, my podcast, Walk with TNB. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but there are so many moments, of course, I, you know, I got you. But there's so many moments in which, like, like non-Black people can help. Of course. So moving us into segment three, right, and, like, and how I can best support you, mm -hmm. how non-Black people can best support mm -hmm. you, but also how Black people can continue to support and advance the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, and just equity mm -hmm. and social justice how non-Black, particularly white people can help support and advance the Black Lives Matter movement. What are some like practical and tangible things that you know, people can do? Um, I think it's, I'm gonna start with non-Black people. Sure. I, I'm not saying people of color, like I'm specific saying non-Black people. So that can be other people of color, like I'm being very specific. But I feel like right now, especially while in this segment, like while there are trending topics, like while these things are happening, people are so quick to be optical allies. Like I'm gonna repost this, I'm gonna comment on this. Like I support you, like I'm gonna send you a text message that says like thinking about you, like, okay. Like, but when do we move past non-optical allyship? Like when do we start really, you know, holding white people and non-black folk accountable for what they claim they're trying to be. Like we, I feel like we have rewarded um, really lazy allyship for so long. Just if you're a part of an organization, if you if you got some black friends, like if you could do a TikTok dance, like, hey, you come to the cookout, like, no, you're actually not. <laughs> like how, how can we like really force them and push them out of that just just posting, just reposting, you know what I mean? Yep. And so I feel like we give them so much to do the bare minimum, but we never get rewarded for doing the bare minimum in anything. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, like we have to do double to even get the bare minimum amount of recognition, recognition and reward. And so I feel like now we really need to push that non-optical allyship and really push them in, okay, like what seminars are you attending? We are, half the country's under quarantine still. There's a lot of free Zoom seminars, webinars, panels, like just go to those, share those with your white friends. Like 
really challenge your racist and prejudice of family members at holidays at the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. um, you even hear it, like you hear your little brother playing Call of Duty, throwing out the N-word, like shut that shit down. Like mm -hmm. just from the most basic things to the big, like all the way from the smallest to the biggest, like how can you really, how can you really do that on a day to day when things aren't hot, when things aren't trending right now? So when things, when things become quote unquote more status quo in their world, because it's never status quo in our world, but when things yep. become more status quo to them, how are you still doing this? Because you're not going to be reposting anymore. <laughs> you're going to be posting the white claws at, at brunch. But <laughs> when, when brunch is over, what are y'all even talking about at brunch? Like, what are y'all talking about? Like, what are y'all doing? So really trying to not only push yourself, but push those people around you, especially the ones that you know are more firm in their in their prejudices in their prejudices but yeah we'll go with that i have two degrees and i still can't speak um <laughs> but also just in their biases both unconscious and subconscious like unconscious and conscious biases like how can you really push those people in your life because they're around you and you need to hold them accountable you can't just say oh well they're old Oh, well, they've always been like that. Oh, well, they grew up in this county. Like, I don't care where they grew up. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter. Like, what matters is that you are in their life and you can serve a purpose in their life to push them beyond what they grew up in or what they have always been. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't want to see the posts anymore. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm about that action. So. I, I, trust me, I, I tell you that shit the other day. Like, if I see one more person say, we got to do better, a lot of white people, a lot of white people got mad about that. Or... I know I've been quiet for three days. I had time to process, and here's my three pages of notes. I'm not reading. No one's reading that shit. I'm not reading that. It's <laughs> like the, the non-optical non allyship is a phenomenal term. And that, I think that you know, really focuses on um, you know, digital platforms and what people decide to post or what they you know, choose not to post, which I think we want to take it a step further. People are spending more time trying to make sure their image is okay or not, not fragmented as opposed to just doing the fucking work, like, just do the work. Right. What can, like, like practically speaking, you know, in the meeting, right, that you may sit in in a higher education setting or in, you know, in your former, um, your former uh, traditional healthcare setting, what are some practical things that people can do there that best support you in those spaces as well? And there's a few things, and especially as of late, I've really been kind of assessing that. Um, when you see these trending topics as a white person, and you're in a meeting with a black person first thing in the morning, like pull them aside first, be like, hey, and if you're, especially if you're supervising a black person, yes. like, do you, do, do you need half a day? Like, don't worry about talking in this meeting. Like, I know you have this talking point, like, let me do that for you because I'm already exhausted mentally, spiritually. I'm really not trying to be here, but I'm expected to show up and still work again twice as hard. So that's even more, <laughs> just more on my shoulders constantly. And so I feel like as a supervisor, as someone that directly supervises people, I'm mindful of that. Like, especially I live in Los Angeles, like after Nipsey died, none of my student workers had to work. Yeah. None of like none of the professional staff that I supervise, I gave them that option. I was like, yeah. do you need to be here? Do you want to be here? You don't? Okay go process like go do what you want to do and so just being mindful and being cognizant of what's going on in the world um to best support the people that you supervise um as far as co-workers because not everyone is in a supervisory role um 
if you see like a black woman especially but if you see a black person trying to speak in a meeting they can't they can't speak so they're they're being spoken over it's as simple as hey like i think Kashi has something to say or like oh tim like were you about to say something because the white voice is going to be heard and that white voice can open up the door for your voice to now be heard even louder and so i feel like that like just small things like that just can be so monumental and so helpful and people are always like well what can i do what can i do I like, it is as simple as that like that is that that physical verbal like i see you like i really see you i saw the effort and i appreciate that and so i feel like to start small those are those are things you can do day to day just simple things i'm glad you said that and i have to give a shout out uh this definitely was not planned but you literally um articulated you know word for word uh, what my colleagues have reached out one of my colleagues that reached out to me last week and said you know tim uh i know what's going on um i see you i'm here with you if there's anything i can do to you know take things off your plate so that you can just just process and just just be let me know white coworker. Coworker. shout out to maggie b shout out to maggie b for doing that because i mean literally that like that that in itself to your point that that helps that's, 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 that's not, that's not minuscule. In many ways, that's, that's like monumental. One, to just reach, to reach out, right? To be vulnerable, if you will, if you want to use that, um, that overused word in higher rate as well, to reach out, number one. But then two, recognize the privilege you have as a white person to be able to give up something that you for forever have held onto so dearly. Um, so thank you again for bringing that point. Uh, up to the conversation as well. I also think that's important just to have the presence of mind to what's going on because there's yes. some people, some white people that still don't really know what's going on. And so they might be proceeding as business as usual and not understanding why I don't want to talk in this meeting or not understanding why someone of color is not being as active as they are. So really just making sure that you're staying educated and really staying up to date and really knowing what is going on so that you can be supported. And where can they find these resources? Everywhere. They are literally everywhere at your fingertips. But I think one big thing too right now is these pages that you're reposting, a lot of them are like Black therapists, Black mental health providers. Follow those pages so that you can continue further so you can see the webinars that they're hosting. Um, it's just it's that, just that simple. It's as simple as a follow or even reaching out to, you know, your Black coworkers, your Black, the people in your circle, the people right outside of your circle even. Like, hey, like, what pages should I follow? Like, what meetings do you go to? Like, what organizations can I donate to? Or, or what organizations are you a part of? Um, just so simple. So a question for you. This was, this just came up for me um, in conversations with, you know, our shared, uh, our shared hero, Ms. Bryson. Uh, we were talking about how uh, white people in particular, you know, they, they reach out to, or well, many reach out to us, you know, for advice or like for like, you know, how can I help? which we know, you know, can lead to, um, you know, this emotional overburden that we're continuing to carry, you know, outside of work as well. Uh, one thing I share with her, and I'm curious to know your thoughts as well. Sorry, share with her, share with my mama. Uh, and I'm curious to know your thoughts as well is, you know, there have been like genuine white people who have reached out to say, Tim, I I've tried X, Y, and Z. I want to learn more. I want to help. And I have like taken, um, you know, the time to say like, here's, here are some practical things you can actually do. Right. And at first I was like, I don't feel like doing this shit because again, I'm tired. I'm uh, still, to be honest, haven't processed everything that's going on. But I also recognize and realize that 
things will not change, systems will not change without white privilege, without the, without the presence, let alone the activation of white privilege. Are you open to people, uh, particularly genuine people within your circle? I'm not sending any white person your way right now or ever for that matter. But are you open? Are you open? Like, what's, like, what's your relationship with, with white people reaching out to you for assistance, help, guidance, et cetera? Yeah, so it obviously has been more prevalent right now. It's always more prevalent, like when the topics are trending. Yep. Um, but I feel like I'm more receptive when they tell me what they've already tried to do. Got it. Um, I don't want you to just come to me blank, like put in that effort first and then come to me like, hey, I tried this and this, but I'm not really finding this. Or should I do more than what I've just done and really show me that you have tried on your own. Like show me that you've attempted to utilize the at Beyonce's internet that's at your fingertips that you have really attempted and tried to use it. I thought that's that's big for me. But like you said, we, we have to take part and own part of that education to make sure they are receiving it from the right places. Yeah. Um, but I just I like to see the effort and that you really did try before you came to me to help educate you because that that's a lot of emotional labor and that it's exhausting. <laughs> no, it, it really, no, it really is. It really is. Um, Pashi, how can we reach you? Right. We've talked a lot today about uh, your story, you know, not just, um, you know, your brief college basketball career, which I definitely did not know. Even now I'm like, when the hell did you play basketball? Just um, I guess it was still <laughs> 10 years, uh, like nine years ago now. You were busy. You were it's busy. all good. I was, you're right. I was you busy. You were very busy. No other <laughs> No, but you know, we talked a lot about your college basketball experience, you know, growing up in Cincy, the socioeconomic diversity within your high school, you know, healthcare, higher ed, motherhood, millennial motherhood. Um, I'm sure there's at least, you know, one person that wants to just get connected with you yeah. um, or see your daughter, you know, different affirmations <laughs> in the mirror. So how can people get connected with you on um, social media? Yes, um, all of my social media handles are the same, so it makes it pretty easy. Um, it is Posh15, P-A-S-H-H-1-5, on everything. Um, definitely, I love connecting. I love connecting with different people, hearing different people's stories. So, And I love to work with people. Like, how can we, how can we spread whatever you are working on and um, active and involved in? How can I share that with my circle? How can I get that out? So let's, let's connect. Let's work. It definitely takes a village. And I'll be sure to um, put Pashi's uh, social media information um, in the description uh, for this episode. Um, but Pashi, again, thank you again for taking, um, again, just some, some time out of your days for us to learn more about who you are, uh, learn more about non-optical allyship, which I love uh, that phrase, um, as well as how we can best support not just each other, uh, but how non-Black people can best support us as we continue to create um, equitable and socially just environments. Um, for black people uh, in this country. Uh, for everyone else, make sure that y'all like, follow, subscribe to Walk With TAB on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if y'all did not see on my Instagram, Walk With TAB is now live on Apple Podcast as well as Spotify and Anchor. Uh, so be sure to subscribe, you know, give us five stars, uh, only if you mean it, of course. Um, definitely look forward to future conversations, future unfiltered conversations with authentic people centered on education, sport, and culture. But until then, Walk with me.